I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, quest. Hello, this is Vic Cohen broadcasting live. Yes, it's live from gorgeous, stunning, just spectacular Skid Row Studios in downtown Los Angeles, California, on the corner of Olive and 7th. I say that in case you want to drop something off. We take presents here. Um, well, the name of the show is It's a Fair Question, because on this show, every question is a fair question. There is absolutely no question that is ever, ever too personal or ever off limits. Now, sitting across from me is an amazing lady. She is a great guest, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you suffer and wait just a minute because I want to just, I want to share with you some exciting news for me. Um, a lot of you know I work on a show called uh, The Chase on GSN. And I recently found out that along with the other producers, I'm up for an Emmy for that, which is really cool. So I just want to share that with you. And also, um, for those of you who watch Deal, uh, Deal With It on TBS, I just found out we've been picked up for more episodes. And so keep an eye out for that. And finally... Uh, show I wrote on Copycat. Um, it's a new singing competition show on MTV. If you can check that out too, it just premiered. It's uh, on MTV, 3 p.m. Pacific and Eastern Time, 2 Central. All right. Now I've gotten that taken care of. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> and this lady, this beautiful lady sitting across from me, she's a stand-up comic. I've known her for years. Very funny and very sensitive. She really feels in life. And, uh, and I think that's, that's what I love about her, uh, even more than her comedy because she's so human and I just love that. I like when people share who they are and are vulnerable. Um, so I'm really excited to have her and I'm really excited for you all to meet her and she or her name is Gabrielle Francis. Hi. How are you? Yeah. On that introduction, I think I might cry. Aw. <laughs> Aw. You know, it's funny. I've always called you Gabrielle. I've never called you the with the last name, Francis. It's oh, very, yeah. <laughs> uh, is that Catholic? It feels like a Catholic last name. I don't know why. No, not Catholic at all. <laughs> it's a very non-denominational name. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It's just Francis. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds very, uh, I don't know, very formal. Mm-hmm. So how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, by the way. I I want I want to thank you. Uh, I I'm going to share with all of you uh, what was the impetus for Gabriella joining us. I was uh, we're Facebook friends. Yes, it's true. And uh, but what's nice is she's one of the Facebook friends I actually know. <laughs> There's some I don't. It's always bad, isn't that Gabrielle? And someone goes, "How do you know?" And you're like, "I don't." And they're like, "You're your they're your Facebook friend." Right. Okay, well, she, Gabrielle is actually a real Facebook friend of mine, and she posted, I'm going to read something to you all that she posted that really um, I found very interesting. So here it goes. She wrote um, 17 years ago, and I'm not going to be paraphrasing. This is literally what she wrote. 17 years ago, I decided to turn my will and my life over to the care of a higher power. Prior to that, I was dying inside, eating nonstop and bulimic. Thank you to all the people who have mentored me along the way, my soul sisters and brothers, my beautiful friends and family who love me no matter what, then and now. I used to hate my body and myself. Today, I'm free. I celebrate my life and yours. One of the many reasons I love being a stand-up comic is there is no age, race, weight, or height requirement, just the requirement to be true to yourself. 
So that was posted, what, two days ago? That was May 30th. Okay. And you know that because that's your date of sobriety, correct, with eating issues? It would be my sobriety date from the bulimia. From the bulimia, okay. Yes, yes. The okay. last bulimic episode was on Memorial Day 17 years ago. All right. So why? first let's get into why you felt the need to post something so personal on Facebook. Because you're kind of outing yourself and you know some people are very private about their addictions or recovery. I was outing myself, but at the same time, it's such a big deal. And I really get what a big deal it is. And I think that... that what, people, what is the big deal? The big deal is that I have 17 years from that. Okay, and it has your time. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking maybe you meant like the addiction itself, but I'm, maybe you meant both. Well, the addiction itself is a big deal. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if a lot of people... A lot of people give drugs and alcohol addiction a lot of street cred, you know? But the food thing is a whole nother animal because that's something that you can never stop doing. You can never just stop eating, ever. Right. You know, you can stop doing drugs and alcohol and you can still survive. But food is necessary to live. Yeah. So it's such a it's such a tricky balance. So getting back to why you posted this, you posted it because it was a monumental day in your life and you felt it was such an important event that you felt it was important. Had you been quiet about your food issues? I haven't been quiet about my food issues. Anyone that knows me for the most part knows that I've had this battle in my life. And, but I also feel that it's important to post positive things on Facebook and to give people hope. And I got to be honest with you, I was shocked at, the fact that there was over 200 likes on that post because I really suspected that only the people that really knew me up close and personal were going to even acknowledge that. But the fact that so many people did, I thought, wow, this is amazing. So when you push sent or post, what was, were you, did you have a certain feeling like when you put that out there after you'd written it? I felt content. I felt content, but then right afterwards I thought, oh, I didn't say this and oh, I didn't say that. And oh, I really wish I would have added more information. I forgot to mention the people I mentored because my God, those, those women are my saving grace as well. Because during that 17 years, there were times when I wanted to fall off the wagon and, and I, and I would think about them and think, well, gosh, I'm their mentor. What am I going to do? Call them up in the morning and go, Hey, uh, I kind of blew it last night, so I'm sorry, but I can't mentor you anymore. Mm-hmm. So they, in a sense, saved my ass as well. You well, know? you know, you can, you know, what's great about Facebook posts, you can always edit. <laughs> you, you know can what, you can, back. but that'd just be a little weird. <laughs> I just keep going back and adding oh, more and more stuff. Yeah, but you know what? That was so great that you contacted <laughs> me because now I get to do it verbally, yeah, which is right. way more fun. Well, good. And uh, just to share some of the comments, I copied some of them. Oh. <laughs> and so the things that I, I thought I didn't, I'm not going to read all of them because there were so many, but um, one of the comments, very proud of you, boo-boo head. That's my that? fiance. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you're, someone's calling you, so you're boo-boo head to him. Uh, you, someone else, you're an awesome person. Um, other person wrote, I've always loved you. I've always thought you were beautiful inside and out. You're the biggest sweetheart. Um, you're an awesome lady. Um that's my high school friend. <laughs> we Well, let's see. We've known each other since we were 16. So were you surprised by all those comments? 
was. And yeah, some of the people that commented, I, I was surprised. And I was very, I, to be honest, I was really touched. I was you, very touched. You look like you're getting a little teary-eyed now. And Actually, what is, <laughs> is that true? Or am I no. just, so your makeup, the, the lighting in the room? <laughs> I just have really glassy eyes. I'm really tired. <laughs> Good. Okay. And there's really shiny lights in my eyes right now. Oh, there are. Oh, there are. What's yeah. shining in your eye? Oh, okay. Oh, good. not in a bad way. I'm fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, is it? But it must be somewhat emotional, anyways. I would think. I mean, or or is it? You're past that. <clears throat> I don't know that I get very emotional over things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the things that make me really emotional today are if I see acts that are that are injustice to other people. That that. That makes me sad. Like, to be honest, walking around this neighborhood at this hour made me really sad. Was it because you were with me or? (laughs) It just made (laughs) me really sad to be with you. (laughs) Thanks. It was rough. It's like Skid Row today. Usually it's a little less Skid Row-ish. It was very Skid Row today. Yeah, I know. It's really heavy. Yeah. So you wrote um, that 17 years ago uh, is when you stopped with your bulimia. Right. Now, I've been kind of couching your situation as like eating challenges or do you just say I'm a food addict? How do you describe yourself? A bulim- I never- Recovered I, bulimic? I never called myself a food addict. I think that sounds weird. But overeater? I would say- mm, Compulsive eater. Compulsive eater, overeater, sure. Where were you going? Where was this meeting you went to? I mean, what was it? What program? Oh- What was uh, it called? I don't know that that's actually something that I would okay, feel but is comfortable it 12, with. Is it like a 12-step type thing or you don't want to even talk about that? No. However, <laughs> if anyone is interested, they're more than welcome to email me and I would be happy to um, disclose some of the modalities that I've used. I've used okay. many modalities. Okay. Um, but as far as in a 12-step way, I'm not really comfortable mentioning that. Okay. Um, but I will say that I did use a lot of different modalities and okay. I'm happy to share what I learned right. within those yeah, whatever you're comfortable modalities. With. Absolutely. What, where could people reach you if they are interested or how uh, could they? Is- they could find me uh, facebook.com slash gift of Gabriella, G-I-F-T-O-F-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A. That's my Facebook handle and they could send me a private message. Okay. Absolutely. So, so what happened usually when people discover they have a problem or they just they're so I say powerless, they what was going on 17 years ago where you're like I need to change. 17 years ago, I was high on pot because a friend of mine had gotten me high because I'd had a really bad day. I'm not a a pot smoker per se, but that day she insisted that that's what was going to make it better that day. And I was driving in my car and I was with a cheeseburger and I was looking at the cheeseburger and I was organizing the pickles to be exactly perfect on that cheeseburger. And I look up and I almost drove right into a parked car. So that was pretty serious. What was going on with the pickles? Well, I needed them to be perfectly organized so that I would have one in every bite. This oh, is, I see. Okay. Yeah. What was the, uh, where was this, McDonald's? I have to really paint the total picture. I do believe it was probably McDonald's. Were there fries with that? Absolutely, always. <laughs> but no fries in the burger. No, That's there always, were. No. <laughs> you know how people lay the fries on, they open the bun. I've seen a lot of different. Yeah. Okay. So 
how is that indicative of, I mean, because that just sounds like maybe you like pickles. I do love pickles in my cheeseburger. I would say, though, that my food neuroses was life or death. That, it, you know, I used to be a waitress and I would go to the the manager's office and I'd be pounding on the door and she'd open the door and I'd be like, they forgot to put the pickles on this person's cheeseburger. And they'd be like, okay, it's not an emergency. They're like, if the building's not on fire and if someone's not injured, it's not an emergency. Like to me, if someone's meal wasn't perfect, that was an emergency because it was to me. I was an amazing waitress. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. Very sensitive. Very sensitive. But but I would say that yeah. not getting my food exactly the way I needed it when I wanted it was serious business. Was this like an OCD kind of thing? I guess you could call it OCD. Sounds like it. Well, it's really like the the medicine, you know, it's like I need my medicine and this is my medicine and it's got to be perfect. So needless to say, I ate a lot of foods that were very predictable. Oreo cookies taste the same every time. Cheeseburgers from McDonald's taste the same nearly every time. Pretty mm -hmm. close. Well, you mean being Big predictable mess. so that like you wouldn't be disappointed Correct. in the ritual? Absolutely. There was always a creamy filling in the middle? Always. Not the issue of no pickles or not enough pickles. That is correct. Okay. Yes. And I mean, a typical episode for me would be, uh, you know, two fast food restaurants followed with a donut shop followed by ice cream. I can remember sitting in my apartment in San Francisco and having just boxes and bags of food just all around me. I'm sitting on the floor you know, and, and I have all of this food that I've just purchased. And, um, um, you know, that was, that was my deal. You and know? how did that feel? Like you were top of the world, king? No, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it made me feel comforted. Okay. You know, that, that it, it wasn't about the ego at all. It was, no, I it just was... meant like, you know, oh. you were high. From... Oh yeah. No, 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 it wasn't a high. It's pretty low. You right. feel pretty low. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's that's like, like the lowest drunk. feeling. Oh, okay. Yeah, the lowest feeling in the world, sitting there with the shame is just out of this world. It was a secret. Oh, yes, absolutely. When I was in my disease, it was definitely a secret because you, I can't think of anything more shameful than the way I used to eat and then to follow it up with sticking your head in the toilet. I mean, that is just full on shameful. And- the the going public with that was something more recent than like with that post or yeah i don't think i've ever posted anything like that on facebook and and i think because i'm a bit more of an alternative dark comedian and um you know my my material is very left of center it's not i don't think as vulnerable as i am in real life mm -hmm. So I do touch on very vulnerable subjects, no doubt about it, but it, they always take a pretty extreme left turn. But I think that in real life, people don't know what I've been through. They just see me. They just see me as this little person, this little person who's always smiling and And you're bubbly. saying little because you're short. And I'm stature. short. Yeah, right. I'm little. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't weigh a lot, you know, I don't yeah. weigh a lot either. Yeah. So. And so do you consider yourself right now um, having an issue around food? I have an issue around Coca-Cola. Really? Oh, yeah, big time. Started uh, about five years ago. The sugar or uh, sugar-free? The real deal. The real thing, I should uh. say. I'm sorry, Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I just fucked up your slogan. <laughs> well, you're talking about Coca-Cola. 
Coca Cola. The drink. The drink. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And how does that show itself? It shows itself by the fact that I can't quit. So once you start, like a two liter could go? Oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. I'm not consuming mass quantities of it. I would say that it's just the fact that I don't want to drink it anymore, ever again. And I still do. Oh, So it's not mass quantities or anything like that. But I just think that it's, it's a poisonous substance. I don't think that it's good for a person. Okay. But I love it. And... And I also have some health things going on right now. So um, I lost a lot of my energy, my natural energy. And so that was what I picked up to sort of compensate for, for those issues. And, uh, and I know that it, it'll be lifted eventually, but for now that's, that's where it's at. I'm just being honest. Yeah. No, that I'm not, good. I'm not perfect. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like a big deal to me, but it is to you. It's That's not, a, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to talk about again because it's like, oh, it's such a silly little thing, right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, getting back to 17 years ago when you said you had your last bulimic episode. Yes. This, you go and get some help, but what, what was like the bottom then exactly? I mean, did you, did you have like something, you kind of described some stuff that was going on. It, was there bulimia involved in it too? Was there bulimia involved? Yeah, like in... whenever you would, you'd, do you call it binging? Yeah. Would it end up with bulimic? Uh, bulimia, like, yeah. I don't know what you call it, purging? Well, yeah, that, that started when I was 16. I was, I was compulsively eating since I was a little girl. That was the way I, I, I comforted myself as a little girl. And I had, my parents, both, one, my father's a Vietnam vet with PTSD and so he would have fits of anger. And then my mother, and he has like the bluest eyes. So it was very Stephen King moment when he was having, a, you know, his episodes. What, and would, what would happen? We're just yelling. My did father he, wasn't, he's not violent. Or did he call like you names? No, 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 no. But no, was, I was just in trouble. He was scary? It was scary. Yeah. For a little girl to have your father yelling is, is very what scary. What does the PTSD uh, episode look like for your father when you were growing up? Oh, just him yelling and, 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 you know, I was in trouble and, you know, it was just, it's, it, to be honest with you, I, I couldn't even give you specifics okay. because I only have the feelings. Yeah. I think I've kind of blocked it out. Did he um, actually see combat in Vietnam? Oh, yes. My father has three purple hearts. So he's, he definitely was a victim of, of combat. And my, the thing that about my father is he's, He's a doll. Like he's a sweet, sweet, sweet man. And so to see, I think the violence and to inflict violence mm-hmm. on another person, that would just really break my dad's heart. How long? So I think his heart was broken. Okay. To be honest. Do you, how old were you when he left? Do you remember? Um. For well, Vietnam. Oh no, no, no. Because I I was being born. Okay, so he was gone when you were born. He wasn't there. That's correct. He was in Vietnam. That is correct. Okay. And then do you remember when he came back or was it you were it was still so young you don't even remember? No, that. I was really young. Okay. I was really young. But he did stay longer, which broke my mother's heart. Okay. Yeah. She was hurt that, that he stayed longer in Vietnam and, and didn't come home. That does feel weird, like you'd think, um, if you're the spouse. Like really? Vietnam's better than home? 
<laughs> that's what she thought. That's what she thought. But but in but everyone makes their own decisions based on survival and based on what they think is is ultimately the the best thing for everyone. And and yeah. that's what he thought was the best thing for everyone. And you know, my mom was very depressed and really depressed when that happened and she she couldn't quite get over like it. Like clinically depressed? Very clinically. Yeah, absolutely. Was she suicidal? I don't know that I would ever say my mom was suicidal, but I do feel like she was pretty vacant. So you had a father who was caught up in dealing with his post-traumatic stress syndrome, the PTSD. Yes. yes. And you have a mother who's chronically depressed? Correct. And so how does that... The reason why I brought that up is because when you don't have the physical nurturing from a parent, oh, you yeah. start to seek it out in other forms and, and food has a physical sensation. So I feel like comfort food is, yeah. Right, people say comfort say. food. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but also I think that there was a void inside, like an emotional void. And so when you feel like you're putting the food in, you feel like you're filling up this void. Mm -hmm. And so, and now on top of it, where the bulimia comes in, this is how I describe this, is that when you, um, when, when you have feeling, first of all, having had parents like that, you feel very unlovable. Because you think it's about you. Because that's how children are. For sure. Mm-hmm. So I felt very unlovable. And so feeling unlovable, then you, you think there must be something wrong. So then you feel shame. Okay. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And then you try to be perfect. So mm, you try I can to connect with per- yeah, yeah, you try to act perfect. You try to look perfect. You just try to please everyone. You do look perfect today, I must tell you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on a side note. Thank you so much. <laughs> but go on. Yes, you're trying to look perfect you're and trying make to- compensating. Correct. So then things like- Were you like- thinking your parents would love you more maybe if, or, or just searching other- anyway. I kind of gave up on, on them as much. I, okay. I, I started to look to the outside world. And what year? How old do you think? Or is this- oh, Single wow. digits? I mean, really? I would say single digits. And then really it escalates when you get into your teens and you start to get all this peer pressure and then you start getting bullied and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, my parent, uh, my friend's parents, because, you know, because my mom was having her thing, my dad was having her thing. I was like this little adult. I was raised with very little boundaries mm. and very, very little discipline. So my friend's parents would call me that girl. They're like, is that not girl Not in a here? positive way. No. <laughs> that is, girl. That's no, an old show. <laughs> no, no, no. Not Marlo Thomas. Like, <laughs> is that girl here? Where's that girl's mother? You know, it's just because I didn't have a filter. I would just speak out. I would say inappropriate things. And Do you, do you have a foul mouth? Were you that kid that dropped <gasps> no. like the F-bombs? And- no, I wasn't cursing. I was just a little bit loud and just inappropriate. Uh-huh. Whatever I thought in my mind, I would just say it. Right. And I also, I didn't, I had a problem with authority figures and, and, and any kind of parental figure. Like I was just like, who are you? You're not the boss of me, you know, with everybody. No one was. But some people have been the boss of me and they don't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It made jobs really difficult. Oh, I bet. I got fired. A lot? I got fired a few times. Yeah. Because I was doing it my way, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, but I would say that that, you know, when, anyway, so, so about that shame. So, so in order to be pretty, you feel like you need to suppress ugly quotes, 
emotions like anger and sadness and all of these things because obviously if you're running around experiencing those emotions then nobody will really like you so so that's where the bulimia comes in because i think when you have all that shame you just want to get it out so i think of bulimia as like an exorcism it's like exercising the the negative emotions okay because you I, can't show the world see this is what i thought i dated a girl who's bulimic yes. and um not that that makes me like certified in anything except I dated a girl as polemic. But my understanding was always that um, binging would be like eating a lot of food when to fill the hole, the void, mm -hmm. whatever it is, whether it's shame or disappointment, sadness, whatever. And then because we, the addict want to keep their bodies thin, they want to get it out as quickly as possible. So they would go to the bulimia. And also I thought that because there's a high in the brain from vomiting. Okay. That, and so that when people were bulimic or are bulimic, they're also trying to get like the same high. I've been told it's described almost like the same as an orgasm. Oh, okay. So that's great that you bring that up because that's a whole nother aspect. But for me, I don't know if I would ever describe it as an orgasm or anything like that. Because okay. for me, it was wretched and I think that it's exhausting and you feel just wasted afterwards and and I think that for me the absolute it ties back into that perfection which is I need to look perfect so that I'm loved and so when you bring up the weight and that whole thing 100% that's that's another aspect of it but I say a byproduct is that you feel this exorcism happening, mm -hmm. you know, because all that feeling of shame is usually in your gut. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. That's where your mm -hmm. intuition feel, you feel your intuition, right. all of that is, is inside. Where did you get, how old were you when you've had uh, first experienced a bulimic? Uh... 16. Right. Okay. 16. And I, it would have been sooner, but I was unsuccessful. And and so you mean you tried, I tried and it was unsuccessful. And the way I learned about it was on an after school special. <laughs> I was going to guess that. Yeah. Isn't that just ironic that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I don't think that was the objective of that, of that, of that TV show. Wasn't that what I think it was a movie. It was an ABC but, after school. Special. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and you know, it's funny. A lot of girls I've met that are bulimic learned from there too. And mm. it's just like, what? You know, you ever think about had you grown up um, where internet, the internet had all these sites like they do now, what, what would have happened? Well, do you know, I, or were when they you starting say, to come up when you were that age? When you said sites, like, you mean self-help sites? No, like um, pro-anorexic sites, <gasps> pro-bulimia. Oh, honestly, this is nothing that I ever wanted. I didn't want to live this way. And I definitely didn't want to live the way. I was as far as the, the eating went, but I will tell you this. I thought I would live and die like that. I thought that was just me. So I'm, this is a whole new idea to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, the way eating disorders are described to me and, and in films in like uh, lifetime movies, mm -hmm. the girl wants to be thin because it makes her feel better. And you're saying that it didn't make you feel better. Something you said sounds different than so, what I've always thought. So here's what I, when I mentor people, this is what I tell them. You look thin, but inside, you know what you're doing to be that way. 
And everywhere you go, you're taking that with you because you know. And so the amount of shame that comes with that affects every area of your life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I want to be alive when I'm in the world. I want to be healthy. I want to be interacting. I want to feel joy. Women that are bulimic in my, for, let me just speak for myself. When I was bulimic, I could not feel joy. Hmm. Not at all. It's not, it's, you're you had a just, secret? you're just numb. Because you're you just, had a secret and also because of the physical exhaustion from doing it? I was a lie. Mm -hmm. I was a walking lie. You know, I look this way, but, and that's, so, oh, I'll tell you, I, I was just on tour in Sweden and the way that they, they thought this was hilarious to introduce me as we have a female American comic and she's not fat. And the whole audience would just roar with laughter. And I told, I, they told, they told me because they would say it in Sweden, Swedish, and then they would come back to me and I would say, well, how did you introduce me? And then they told me and I said, oh, <laughs> Really? So that's not how so, you ask. So is that what you? So so that's what you guys think of American women is that they're all fat, and I was pissed. I was like, "Well, you don't know me. I was fat for most of my life in my mind." Were you, you ever I mean? really fat though? I mean, besides you know, like on I, the scale, I was about twenty five pounds heavier at my highest weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, and I'm not. I just, again, I'm not that tall. So for me. Um, but, you know, once I got into recovery, my, my weight didn't fluctuate more than 10 pounds. And that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. The, um, so something, uh, you said that you saw your future as always being this way. A hundred percent. So what happens where you found some hope? I think that I had to see that other people were like me first. That was the first thing. Because I didn't know anyone that was like me. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone that ate like me, and I didn't know anyone who who was bulimic. So once I did, and then I found out that they weren't anymore, that gave me a lot of hope. And so that was my first experience with really sticking with something because I wanted it so bad. You know, I was I was desperate to be different, and I feel like the when I saw other people who, who were willing to teach me what they did, that made all the difference in the world. So um, I think that that's, that's just that I'm trying to say. So, so I really needed to learn some tools. I needed to have some hope and I needed to learn some tools. And so some of the tools that I've used have been writing. I write, um, I, and I, I don't write as much now, but I used to write a ton in the early years because I really had to get my emotions on paper and prayer and meditation is big for me and reaching out to other people. There was a girl, we didn't have a lot in common exactly, but for some reason, whenever I was on the breaking point where I thought, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to go backwards. I, for whatever reason, would always be able to get in touch with her. And she would pick up the phone and I would say, I feel like I'm going to break. And she would just stay on the phone with me and just talk to me until I started crying. Mm -hmm. And it was those tears that I was running away from. It was the vulnerability 
that I was running away from. And so to to have those tears is what saved my life. And and so did she, you know, because she was willing to be on the other end and and just just be, really. She's not, you know, she's not a magician. Mm-hmm. She was just another human having an experience and holding, you know, reaching out her hand to me um, like someone had done for her. Some of these, um, I'm going to call it an addiction. Would that be fair to say? An addiction? Yeah, the bulimia. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, There are times when addicts want to go back to their addiction, particularly it doesn't matter what the addiction is, but usually it's under stress, uh, life challenges, uncomfortable feelings. Uh, Over the 17 years, how close to the edge have you gone to uh, doing something, I don't know how to describe it, we say purging is the same as sure yeah so Mm -hmm. when like how many times has that happened or is it is it something you struggle with even to this day i would say in the first couple of years three years five years maybe it it was a lot more frequent probably like once a week and you know that kind of thing but then over the years it got to be less and less and i would say i mean i was just on vacation um in europe and I was this close. I mean, I'm literally in like the most beautiful place in, this I've is ever been in the stand world. Up you're talking about? No, I was. Or this was a, a this was a vacation. Okay. Yeah, this was a vacation, and I um, I just sometimes I think alcohol can kind of trigger it a little bit, and um, I think I just had a little bit too much alcohol. Not not an exorbitant amount. I just don't drink very much, mm-hmm. so this was just a little bit more, and. And I might have, you know, because the food in Italy is kind of amazing. <laughs> so I think I got a little carried away. So you ate a lot, overindulged. But it's not, you... not even that much. I just don't eat that much anymore. Okay. And I don't really drink. But so it's still, the there was something that, okay, so you I was were just, vulnerable. I was just too full. <laughs> yeah. I was and just too full. How did you not end up doing that? I I have a partner who's amazing and... Yes, he actually works as an interventionist. And so that's convenient. Um. (laughs) You are marrying an interventionist. That helps. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, but, uh, but, you know, he, uh, he's very sensitive. And, and so I can be honest with him about where I'm at. And also I know just how to just get really calm when I'm in that space. You know, it means I just need to go and just chill out. Was there was there uh, an actual, besides the drinking a little bit and eating till you felt full, was there uh, something happening in your life at that moment, like um, a pressure, a stressor that, that occurred? Actually, yeah, I think that the stress might have just been the fact that we were really having this amazing experience. And I think it's so funny you were saying about stresses and this and that, that that can bring it on. But sometimes it's just getting out of your comfort zone can make you feel a little frightened, you know, because you're, you're re- when, because I'll tell you, you know, having an eating disorder and any addictions are really about keeping your life very small. It's just about you and that, substance, whatever it is. So your life is really, really small. 
And so once you start to recover, then it's all about like spreading your wings and and starting to really be out in the world. And that can be a little scary sometimes. I think that's a great point. I mean, one of the things that for myself, um, being a single guy, I feel like I need to be with someone who um, isn't in an active addiction. I wouldn't, I would date anyone who were, if they were, uh, let's say, recovered or in, the, in a very solid place in their recovery if they're in addiction. But as far as when someone's in the addiction, I always believe that, that they do already have a relationship and it's with that addiction. And I will always be an outsider. That's been my experience when I have dated someone, a couple of people, I believe, who had eating issues. And, and so um, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it, it makes sense. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, I think, too, um, I have a lot of physical pain in my body. And I think that can, can really trigger as well because I'm actually in physical pain. Okay. And so there's a tendency to want to get out of pain. Is the recovery um, a lot of it about how to recognize feelings that when the past would have unconsciously led to acting out and it be aware? Wait, say that, say that again? Is part of the recovery being aware of more conscious of what in the past was an unconscious trigger and intervening on yourself in a healthy way using these new tools? Yeah, is yeah, that part absolutely. of what recovery is, is particularly with, I would imagine it's with any addiction. Absolutely, because I think that that acting out is really bailing out on yourself. And so, because there's a solution for every single thing that you have in your life that, that, make, that you struggle with. There's a solution. And sometimes there's not a solution per se, but how you look at it is sometimes the solution, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. For instance, I don't like it that I'm in physical pain and I'm doing everything I can to get to the bottom of that. But the reality is, is that this pain has made me more humble and, and it's made me more compassionate. I never had a broken arm. I never had any kinds of physical ailments like that. I've, I've never had stitches. You know, would you like some? I can do that. No, thank you. But I have, well, because I have now. But the thing is, is like my friends that, you know, had gone through major surgeries or anything like that, I had no clue, A, what a person going through that would be. What is going on? Just because we do call this show, we, it's me. Uh, It's a fair question. So I have to ask, uh, because I know all of you listening or many of you are probably wondering, like, what is going on with you? Oh, why am I physically? Oh, I mean, well, I had a spinal fusion in 2006. And I was rear-ended twice after that fusion. Okay. So I was in I was in two car accidents. Oh my and God. so um, I think it basically rattled my cage. So and that's what's going on. You're dealing with the um, effects of that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You're living. You're you know you're okay. I mean, oh yeah, it's not life threatening. No, it's not life threatening. Okay. However, it does threaten my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does in a way because if you were to act out over this. Yeah. Do you, does part of what keep you from not uh, purging uh, just because uh, you just, you still remember the pain like it was yesterday? Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. No doubt about it. And, and also I will say this to me at the time, I thought, oh, I'll just do it 
once a week for a month, I'll get to my goal weight and then everything will be great. But it doesn't work that way. Because if you don't deal with, for me, I'm not a bulimic first, I'm a bulimic second. I'm a compulsive eater first. Food was my drug. So if, and I I do want to say this, I think it's really important that people know this. I, my experience was I had no idea how to eat. I noticed a lot of girls that I mentor, one of the biggest issues that they have when I ask them to tell me what they eat in a day, boom, breakfast is always the culprit that a lot of women wake up and they don't want to eat. I don't eat breakfast. A lot of people don't. And I'm a man. But, well, I'm not, <laughs> I, I haven't mentored any men, so, <laughs> right. so it, it, your body's the same. I skip breakfast because uh, I don't want the calories, unless I'm working on a show. Really? I think I have some eating stuff. I'll, I'll share them with you real quick, and you can tell me, okay? <laughs> I, I think that everyone, I, I don't know, that's a big statement, but I think a lot of people do, um, and it goes unrecognized. But the difference is, at what point does it become life-threatening and shameful? Like, I'm proud of some of my techniques of eating. Like, I share them with people. Like one of them is like I found a way on TV uh, sets, you know, they have a lot of food and I found a way to eat donuts with never gain, without ever gaining weight. And I just lick the tops. Oh. <laughs> and then, um, but I, this is really bad. I hope you don't put them back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I find a, a bulimic around the corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here. Oh God. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's not going to touch that's that. Horrible. Oh, no, that. That's horrible. No, that's not sure. perfect anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. I didn't realize that's common with bulimics. That it has to be perfect, the food. Is that just you or is that a common thing? Well, I think it's very common that it has to be exactly what we want. Most definitely. That's a big deal. Here's some- However, I have eaten stuff that I threw away. Like I would throw it in the trash and say, okay, I'm done with that. And I throw it in the trash and then I go back and take it out. Okay. Yeah. Here's something um, I stopped doing because I realized it was bad for my teeth and also my stomach. And I realized it is an actual, someone said to me, that's like an eating disorder. And then I stopped. So I, I the fact well, I could, the fact I could stop makes it not really because it's usually when people are powerless and they can't stop. That's correct. So I am. I this is a crazy thing about my weight. I don't want to be fat. You know, I think it came from my parents. And so I like with all this food around, I would eat um, dark chocolate, put it in my mouth, um, chew on it, and then spit it out. And oh yeah. So I would just get the taste of the chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then it would be gone. But the problem was I was getting cavities. And also I realized there's a name for this, that it actually had a name, scared me. And then- um, What was the name you heard it I was forgot. called? I forgot. Disgusting? I, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a big waste of chocolate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I would go through like dark chocolate, like like a ton. But it, this is what I didn't know. I think it's called spitting, but- Spitting? Oh, yeah. there's an actual name for it. Like I think not so. to be cute spitting. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was But I don't spitting. know if you know this, Gabriella, um, but- what the problem is, it causes your, it begins the digestive process. So all the, the, mm. the um, acids in the stomach begin to start moving around going, come on, come on, chocolate. Right. But I spit it out. Oh. So there's no, it, it can screw up my digestive tract. And I have right. Crohn's disease, not from that. Mm. So I really shouldn't be messing around with anything that can affect my um, eating. Um, and then I'll, I'll just finish when I was 10, I had a girl, for, uh, a girl I really liked and uh, she wrote me a note saying that she would not go out with me because I had a big butt <gasps> oh. when I was 10. Oh my God. And I put myself on a diet immediately. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, I do, I do want to say one thing, which is that what I, I do want to share is that there are, I had someone who mentored me who said, 
because even though I stopped the bulimia 17 years ago, the binge eating didn't stop right away. That stopped, you know, uh, a few years later. I still had work to do. What is binge eating? How do you know you're binge eating when you're eating just way too many calories or beyond your your comfort zone? 4,000 calories in a day. That's a lot for a person. Anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I would say that for me, uh, she, she was, she would say like, well, can you love yourself the way you are? And, and so that was really important to me. And, and I think that there are women who are just fantastic and they are heavier women like Cameron Mannheim and, and Melissa McCarthy. And, you know, these, these women are phenomenal, you know, and I, I just, I love them. And I think that, um, what's important to remember is that just because we think we're fat doesn't mean we have to stop our life. Just because we think we're not perfect doesn't mean we have to stop our life. It, you know, we can still go out there and fully express. And and that brings me to the next point, which is, you know, could I love myself no matter what? And so that's when I just started to do things that I was afraid of. Because my whole thing was, well, when I get to this weight, then I'm going to go do that thing. When I get to this weight, then I'm going to go do that thing. And so I was constantly preventing myself from having any life experiences. Was that just a way of dealing with fear? Absolutely. That's the number one thing. Yeah, that's it. Fear. Full Mm. stop. Fear, 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 fear. You know what's amazing? Fear and shame. What? I have this. I actually just bought a book Mm because I think fear... Fear stops all of us in different ways. And I mm-hmm. just bought this book today. And I was going to share it with you actually after the show. But I have it right here. I'm going to hold it up to the camera. Aww. And it's called Fear. It's a, um, this guy's name is Thick Not Hun. And um, T-H-I-C-H-N-H-A-T-H-A-N-H. And um, it's about, it's a Buddhist approach to fear. And it is such mm-hmm. a great book. Mm-hmm. I love it, and I really highly recommend it. Um, but you find the fear is, is a root cause of a lot of Oh, of yeah. For me, it was number one. Number one. And I think... So how did re- you get through fear, the fear? Fear of rejection. Well, how, how did you do that? Like Feel the fear and do it anyway. Well, you Okay. I mean, I get this, that slogan. I actually bought that book just because I liked the title, mm-hmm. and I even read the book and highlighted it, but it still didn't get me to do it stuff. Yep, but that that's it. So what I had to do was write a list of everything I was afraid of and then do it. What was on that list? Oh, wow. And keep it clean. Well. <laughs> I like ma- saying that then it becomes not clean. Going, ma- yeah, yeah. Like mainly um, getting an agent, you know, mm. or, or I mean. Professional to, stuff. Prof- a lot of professional stuff. Traveling was really scary for me. I've traveled a lot now and I want to travel like all the time. That's all I want to do. But, but before I was just so afraid that, you know, I was going to miss something. I didn't want to go away. I was going to miss something. Well, when I just want to backtrack cause we're almost, we're getting close to out of time here. Oh, wow. When you, I always find, and I kind of asked this already, but I want to see if I can maybe answer in another way to get the answer I'm curious about the most mm-hmm. with this question. Um, most people who have an addiction have a bottom where they're, they're, they're like, I'm not, I just, life is just not, I can't do it. I'm done. So when you had your last bulimic experience, was it a light bulb moment? Like, 
this is it. I and, and if so, describe that. And if not, I mean, why the, why was that the last time? Most people say an addict needs a bottom. Because I accidentally stumbled into a place that I discovered these other people. So that was kind of what happened. But how do you even end up in this place? I mean, you just knew you had a problem and you were trying to find different solutions? I was looking for a support group. Okay. I was looking for a support group and in another area, in a codependent area. Okay. Because that's all I knew. Yeah, because I had a friend of mine who was in this support group for codependents. This is literally what happened. My friend was in this support group for codependents and I went to one of these groups. And at that time, I was just looking for that. I wasn't looking that for... That seemed to be the thing that was on yeah. fire that needed to be put out. Yeah, and and this um, this paper, this thing that I saw that the meeting was at that place, something was wrong. It wasn't there. And so the guy was like, oh, why don't you go to this other place because they have a lot of, you know, support groups there. And so you should just go there. And so I did. And then they coincidentally had a support group for anorexics and bulimics. And I was like, oh, I guess you can kind of relate to those people. And I went there. And then that's when my mind was blown because I was like, oh, my God, all these people are just like me. Whoa. I thought I was the only one. And from that first meeting with all these people, this group, where you were like, I, I'm, I'm ready. I want to just change my life. I was ready long before that, but had no idea how to get help. Therapy did not help me. You know, that just, it didn't help. I needed way more accountability than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed like constant, constant care. Really. What does that look like? Phone calls? Phone calls and and showing up every single day. I, like for two years, I showed up to this support group. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. And um, it, it doesn't cost anything, right? I mean, like that no. could be a fortune. Did you ever do inpatient or outpatient at a like a eating type disorder I, place? Actually, I was suicidal when I was nineteen, and and you dropped that bombshell on us when we're almost out of time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to ask about that. Was that as a result of? Everything we'd already talked about, the childhood, the life, the depression around your own. I I was living in San Francisco. I was alone. That was during that time when I was sitting in the floor with all those, that food around Mm me. And Mm I had had, I'd been abandoned by, my best friend slept with my boyfriend, basically. Oh. And so I was abandoned by the two main people that were Mm. my, you know, bookends of living in a new city. And so I was really alone. And so I was very depressed. You grew up in Stockton? I I grew up in Stockton, but now I was living in San Francisco. And so I was so depressed and I, my boss at work took me to the, um, the hospital to, because I, you know, was telling suicidal. And so he took me to Kaiser and they interviewed me for about five hours and decided that I was a threat to myself. And they put me in an ambulance and took me to a hospital. And so I was, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest experience, but you know, but it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I really needed to make some changes in my life at that time to create a support system. And I just didn't know how I was 19, you know, I just didn't know how you do that, but, um, but it was very helpful and, and I was there for 10, 10 days and, and it was, it was great. Did you let it happen with the, uh, with your, with bulimia and other 
eating disorder, addiction. Uh, has, is your body ravaged in any way permanently? I know a lot of people have heart. No, illness. by the grace of God. One of the things that they taught me in that hospital, so if anyone's listening and you happen to still suffer from this disease, uh, was to brush my teeth with baking soda because it neutralizes the acid that's coming out of your stomach into your mouth. And so it neutralizes it. And so you don't, because a lot of my friends don't have their teeth, a good majority of their teeth. I have all my teeth, thank God. Oh my God. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. But you know, that's that's uh, that's a high note we can we can leave on. You, you know, always that, count on Gabrielle for the funny. Yeah, they always say leave on your best joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but but seriously, you know, it's serious. It's serious. And, and um, I was grateful that you brought me here to talk about something that is really near and dear to my heart in a way that, I hope to be able to help other people. And like I said, you know, we touched on a lot of things we here, did. but I would say that, you know, for me, the the food combining and all of that and that neuroses is, is really like combusted energy um, inside is combusted creative energy. So, so start to be creative and, and put your mind on other things that you think that you're going to fail at just do it anyway. Well, it sounds like also though, when I, the message I'm getting from our hour together is that it can't be done alone. Or at least oh, you God, couldn't no. do it alone. Absolutely it's not. not. Gonna, you know, it's not about buying a self-help book nope. or just going to websites. Nope. It's nope. human contact. 100%. what we're doing right now. 100%. Do you consider this part of your recovery, us talking? Yeah, you're cured of whatever <laughs> thing that's wrong with you. <laughs> you are, no, I don't mean that, but that's funny. But as far no. as your recovery, is this part of it? Oh, God, Sharing yes. your story. Absolutely. Reaching out. Again, where can people contact you if they want to reach out to you? Facebook.com slash gift of Gabriella. G-I-F-T-O-F-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A. What about your stand-up? If people want to see you perform, is that uh, on there as well? Add me on Facebook and I post all my shows and I can get free tickets for you. It's it's definitely the place to find okay. me. Okay, so it sounds like, um, just to wrap it up, you said earlier, very early, that part of the addiction or maybe most of the addiction was hiding out, mm -hmm. not living a big life. Isolating. Isolating, mm -hmm. not going through the fear. Right. So now, 17 years later, after right. you got some help, you're traveling around the world performing stand-up comedy, which you weren't doing before. No. You have a fiance that you love, I would I hope. In a I do. Okay. I love him. Yeah. And you're not and you're not engaging in these behaviors. No. So you're safe. No, I'm engaged to a man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, thank you again. It's so oh, thank great. You. So great. I learned a lot. Thank you for so, having me. Yeah, and you still didn't tell me if I had a <laughs> food problem. I don't I think if it's if it's interfering with life and you can't stop, that's when you know it's a problem. The most important thing is if you feel like you're the walking dead. If you feel like your food addiction comes between your relationships with other people and that you are just sad all the time. That's when you know. Okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. I think I don't have that addiction, but I have some definitely quirkiness. Thank God. I'm so glad <laughs> yeah. you don't have And that. I'll eat my pickles anywhere on, any, yeah. <laughs> on anything. It doesn't matter. Oh my God. All awesome. right. Well, thanks again, uh, Gabriella, so much uh, for being with us. It was really great. And thank, thank all you. of you for joining us and hope to, again, uh, hope to hear and see you again on here. I didn't hear you. I hope you join us again on Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question.